thank you, Meg, for hanging out with me. It's a pleasure to have you here. I'm glad. I'm glad we could make our time uh, differences work uh, in foggy old London town, as opposed to the drab and grey Melbourne this evening. I'm very well, happy to be talking about stuff. Well, I'm actually. I'm not in London. I'm in Dublin. Um, oh, yes. So, okay. So it's um, yeah, it's very miserable here as well. So yeah, we're, we're <laughs> got to be consistently time. grim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no, it's great to have you. Thanks so much, man. And. Um, like we're talking about this album, which has just dropped, The Gleaners. Um, mm -hmm. Also, as well, Sam, I should mention as well, your other band, uh, Had Amor, which yes, yep. you're, you're the vocalist in. Just to give a bit of context around uh, the, the, the conversation, because we are going to talk about vocal styles when it comes to the, the two bands and um, yep. maybe some subtle differences there. But I mean, The yep. Gleaners, right? So um, it's been like six years since um your last album and i mean i assume it would have been a lot quicker had your drummer griff not broken something every other month on the lead up to <laughs> yeah. it oh no it's terrible isn't it it's like that scene in robocop where gary <laughs> oldman <laughs> starts ripping out bits of, of the cop and you realize he's just a pair of lungs and a chin <laughs> pretty much pretty much griff except he's replaced it with his kicks <laughs> so oh. he's one of those guys that uh you know the movie hook when robin hood uh yeah. pretends to be peter pan i feel like griff sometimes forgets of his vintage so he's a fantastic drummer but an extreme sports star i don't really think so yeah so yeah. he's really cops a couple of beatings every time we play a show and he's got some downtime so i i remember when he uh he recently had a fall uh in alice springs when we played a very remote uh festival called yeah. black and the gold uh, it's a wonderful uh, in, environment run by the Indigenous community of that region as well as the metal fans. And he decided uh, the bathroom wasn't good enough. He would like to go urinate in a shrub. And uh, he went, it was pitch black, freezing cold as the desert will be at night. And we just hear this scream of pain and he's impaled his leg on a uh, a spike that was holding up a, a, <laughs> a water hose. So that was off to the hospital for him. And uh, luckily, he learned how to play uh, with the other leg for the for the gig the next night. But the poor dude, he had about two hours sleep and was uh, carted away in the middle of the evening and, and got back just in time to gig the next night. What a hero. And an idiot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of hats off by the other drummers at the festivals and he got to meet his hero's revocation because uh, they got right. off the plane in time to play that night with us as well. And there he is uh, wearing his revocation hat when they walk in. So he would have looked like a stalker in the middle of the desert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, because I, I think he did that. And then like we were just talking there. I met him in Frankie's in Sydney. And then I think I flew home and he broke something else again while skateboarding or something. Uh, yep. Okay. Yeah. 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 So he just, <laughs> he, he never learns. Yeah. Skateboarding is one of those things that uh, it has a very short window of opportunity for you to excel at without getting completely annihilated and ending up with bits of metal all in your body. Uh, I, I really envy people that have that level of uh, balance when it comes to something as dangerous as skateboarding. Oh, man. Yeah, he's a lovely guy, though, Griff. Um, I, I, like I said, I had the pleasure of meeting him. So, uh, And obviously he drums in Burial Pit as well, who are another uh, band that mm. I'm a big fan of. Um, yeah, one of the heaviest bands down here in Australia. It definitely would be Burial Pit. Well, I mean, so so basically how I got into the Australian scene is um, through the band Awe, 
Uh, I interviewed them on this podcast and um, then I interviewed Yano Mamo, Jason from Yano Mamo, and then yep. um, Beryl Pitt, which is where I met Griff. And incidentally, that's how I found out about Low, the, the band uh-huh. we talked about today. I was like, tell me more bands from Australia. Um, yeah. And Low came up and um, obviously being on Pelagic Records, which is a really well-respected label as well, um, I checked out Vestigio. Is that how you say it? Yep. Vestigio. Yeah. Vestigial, yeah. Vestigial, yeah, sorry. Um, and absolutely loved it. And uh, since then, I've been like a huge fan. Like, I've got the record as well, somewhere buried amongst that. Um, yep. So I was really excited about the Gleaners because um, it's, you know, when you sort of find a new band that you, you fall in love with, you're so excited about to see what happens next. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we reviewed this album on the podcast. Like, I love it. I, I think... It's definitely on par with your previous one, but it's definitely going to be better. Like I've listened to it loads; it keeps growing on me. Um, what's the reception you've had from it, like since it's been released? Outstanding, absolutely outstanding. We're very humbled and stoked at the same time from the kind of expressions of of uh, admiration and also the the refreshing stance that people are actually delving in and doing their own research into it. They're returning to our previous records. Uh, since I joined the band in in two uh, like well be almost twelve years ago now, and uh, following that arching storyline as well, and they're picking up all these little characters and nuances that we had hidden in there that make it all be viewed as one piece of work. So you're you're kind of you've been able to consume those albums in the way that I would hope so because you've only come into it in the last little bit of listening to Vestigial very recently. And now you've gotten to hear the gleaners rather than have to wait that six years like everyone else. Uh, lots of people have said that's our most like uh, relentless, uh, expansive and experimental work so far. So yeah. I tend to agree with that. I feel like we have pushed ourselves a lot further than what we've done with Vestigial. It hasn't just been let's repaint with the old brush. It's let's discover new things that keep us interested and inspired. And we also were able to take a lot of risks as well because we had that extra time because of the pandemic and the fact that uh, we really wanted to make this an outstanding work yeah interesting you say about how you um this one's a bit more expansive and we talk about this a lot on on the podcast is bands progressing um because you know some bands can let's just take them off the top of my head like the blackening by machine head absolutely 10 out of 10 album i don't think a lot of people would argue with that but you can't stand still and just try and make the same album over again. And I, I think this is very much to your point on the Gleaners. Um, a lot of people have tried to sort of, or sorry, you've been tagged as black and sludge, hardcore, whatever. Yeah. And yeah. for fans That's of- a very new phrase to me. I'd never heard that before until someone started reviewing the Gleaners. I thought we always were just a sort of a very aggressive, abrasive sludge band. or yeah. And now people are saying- Black and Sludge, Black and Doom, uh, Post Metal, Black and Post Metal, all these other these phrases that maybe help them digest it a bit more. But as long as the music's interesting to us, I don't really think it needs to have much of a banner. The only thing that seems to always run through the middle of us like a spine is is the sludgy groove connection. But everything else that goes into it, the vocal style, the drumming style, that's coming from a whole menagerie of different tastes from each individual member. 
Yeah, and like I think the the tags in this day and age, the genre, right? So I, I mean, Sam, I don't know how old you are. I'm pushing forty now. I know I look great. I look about twenty one. Thanks very much. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like grow, <laughs> growing like up, like a UV in Dublin, mate. <laughs> There's no sun kissing for you. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like a mummy. I just like stay as I am for the years. Um, yeah. But when when I was growing up, it was like you've got heavy metal. And then you yep. might have like death metal, black metal, thrash metal. That was it. These days, like, there's so much out there, like, to, yep. to bands that are putting these tags. But I think what I find interesting is when people say low for fans of the, the two ones that do always come up is Mastodon and Neurosis. Um, okay. Yeah. And I can sort of see that to an extent on the previous work but i think this one definitely is a lot more and i'm wondering with carl obviously your guitarist um playing in we lost the sea as well yes um, yeah yourself obviously we talked about hadal moore which is death metal uh yep. of the genre um griff as well obviously and more of the i mean death sludgy yeah we're recording burial pit that's another one that i never heard of before apparently there's sludge death so that's what <laughs> exactly. they tend to come under that headline as well so it's definitely a pooling of all of our our tastes mm. yeah but like i mean i suppose for me carl being in we lost the sea because they're an instrumental band they're very much in the post metal yes. genre was was he pushing a lot more on this album in terms of the writing and the music because i can sort of hear bits of it here and there in the gleaners i would have no doubts that you're influenced by the company you keep and and doing a lot of successful big world tours with we lost to see over the last six years uh he's come to strengths in his own in that in that genre and it's always been an interest for carl to have a very cinematic very soundscape uh soundtrack a film score a way of viewing music and even though we are aggressive and abrasive we do like to have those pauses where you can catch a breath and let the music and the atmosphere speak for itself so things like the dune soundtrack uh also the watchman uh, uh when it's been handled by trent Reznor and atticus ross those three volumes as well as even like certain tv shows that have come out as well uh on hbo and, and on netflix and and apple tv these are things that are bled into the way that we approach things. And I think it makes the music all the better. I really want to raise that sludge bar, bar a bit higher. We don't need to just go down that worshipping of old riffs and always ride the groove, but you want to create a world within the album. So I think that post-metal thing just really lends itself to what we're creating. And we lost to see whenever I think of that music, I think of cinema. I think of an operatic, mm -hmm. uh, like a landscape being painted in front of you. Yeah. And I think that the track that it stands out the most of what I was talking about is the title track, The Gleaners. Um, yes. I love that track so much. Like, I think the way it's structured with the spoken word, sample, intro, whatever you want to call it, uh, to the way it ends in such a frantic, frenzied, horrible feedback. <laughs> like, <laughs> and everything in between. I think it's such a brilliantly well-written song. Like, but is it, I mean, that's my personal favourite. For you, like, do you have any personal favourites on the album that, you know, maybe 
mean something to you about the lyrics, perhaps, or yeah. a certain time that you wrote it? I'm glad that you you've honed in on the Glen as the title track as as a focal point. Uh, that is one of my favourites on the release mm. as well. I love the fact that we we did just keep threading out the meaning and and really uh, treading that path, even though it's eight minutes. We've had every one of the reviewers uh, and fans say to us that that is one of the standouts and that they were still wanting more at the end of that eight minutes. So that's a good testimony to the songwriting from Carl and, and the rest of us. Uh, that claustrophobicness, that being suffocated by the end of the track, those samples and distortion, that's actually um, a swarm of insects that is that has okay. been taken as a sample. So that is playing into our plagues, into our very uh, Genesis uh, Old Testament vibe of, of some of the lyrics. As far as what lyrics stand out for me or are important for me, all of them are because we spend a hell of a lot of time researching the music part of it. So I wanted to make sure that I could live up to that standard uh, with with my words wordplay. Uh, as far as vocal techniques and things that I was most proud of of the album uh, in my deliveries, I really, really love uh, Deafening Bleats of Apathy when that comes in uh, in the third track just because it shows off little uh, snippets of different characters and voices and performances that I were able to put into it rather than just being straight for the jugular super aggression like the first two tracks are. Uh, Gleaners, again, like uh, the Gleaners track has some wonderful uh, kind of quiet, like, like very uh, horrific sort of like a nightmare nightmare fuel type of delivery, which I'm quite happy with, and as well as the big bombastic choruses. I really liked the Rat King as well. Rat King was one of the first sort of songs that Carl and I had a very clear message and focus of what that song was going to be and what it was going to represent. And I'm always about sounding inhuman as well as being very clear with my lyrics. So as long as you can hear it and hear the pronunciation, even if it does sound monstrous, monstrous and draconian, then I'm very, always very pleased when people get back with me and they say, oh, I really, really like that hook that was in there. And, I mean, if you, you, it was a question I was going to ask later, but you've sort of segued into it in terms of vocals. So mentioned that you're in Hadal Moore, which is very much of the death metal mm -hmm. side of things. When you're approaching recording, whether it's this low arm or the previous one, do you have to adapt your vocal style to sort of say, well, I'm not doing a Haddam Moore album, I'm doing a low album, or does it sort of come when the songs have been written and then you sort of go, well, there's no need for this death metal growl here. Uh, maybe <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm only limited uh, by what I'm given. So with Haddam Moore, it's extremely technical. Uh, it's very abrasive, very violent. Uh, it does have some sort of uh, atmospheric uh, dissonance to it, but as a whole, it requires a very stern roar or rasp that's going to go along to be able to cut through. It's like when you when you're having your quince paste with a really heady cheese, you've got to be able to have something for the palate. Uh, otherwise you just get lost in there. So I'm not going to be mumbling away, doing some little black metal in the distance stuff. I really need to cut through. Uh, as far as lyrical themes, I do have things that interplay between the way that I write for low and the way that I write for Hadar Moore. Uh, it's more 
can be a bit more surrealist, I guess, in Hadlemore, a, a bit more uh, not so straightforward in its message, as which kind of goes hand in hand with the way that the music is very abrasive and disjointed sometimes with the riffs. But when I approach low stuff, I come from a very preacher at the pulpit style. So I'm very influenced by concept albums, particularly works by, I say, uh, Roger Waters, uh, Gallows, uh, uh, even even like I know he's a bit uh, <laughs> cancelled at the moment, but old Marilyn Manson with Hollywood uh, in right. 2000. That is one of the greatest hard rock albums ever written. Uh, you can you can you can hate the man, but the work stands for itself. Uh, Ministry as well and Nine Inch Nails. So when it comes with that sort of vibe, uh, I'm able to illustrate the horrificness and faults of mankind through pillar characters that I've created that can run through the release. Very interesting that you mentioned the likes of Ministry and Nine Inch Nails um, and even Marilyn Manson, like, because you, now you've said it, I can see the the sort of connection to it. But at the same time, it's not a direct connection. It's a very no, subtle no. one. Um, mm. I just want to come back quickly to the Gleaners because um, the, the title track and the length of it. Because, I mean, on previous works, you do have lengthy tracks. Um, eight minutes. In the context of this album, when you think of like Rat King, which is a great example, it's a very quick hit track. Um, sorry, I don't mean to see quick hit, but comp yeah. compared to it, um, time running length is less. Do you go into recording this album, for example, and say, let's put an eight minute song on? Or is this something like when you're doing demos or pre-production that it sort of starts an idea and then it grows to this? finished product we uh carl's the brains when it comes to that sort of orchestration uh he he's very uh a man of quality over quantity when it comes to that so i can always guarantee that when he does send through a demo it's not going to suck uh, which is a nice relief for me uh because he's usually been sitting on these nuggets for quite a while uh, and when he does when he does open that watershed moment there's going to be a lot more riffs that follow as far as we go with eight minutes, two minutes, one minute. It's all about what's doing justice and impact for the riff. Can can there be more of a message at play here for an, for these longer kind of more subtle post-metal moments? Or are we wanting to have that vicious venomous cycle of just being able to hit you in the face straight away? So the, we were able to uh, put together the running order of the album relatively easily and we were we've always been lucky with the last couple of releases because we have that bookend of the outro bleeding into the next releases intros, yeah. as well as little key moments that can be recycled back in, but still be consumed as one work. How does it work then? Because you're in Melbourne, mm -hmm. Riff's up in Sydney, and I don't know where Adrian and um, Carla are based, but how does it work? They're all Sydney boys at the moment, yeah. Oh, so, they're all Sydney, are they? So, yeah. do, so do you travel up for um, writing sessions or do you send stuff back and forward? How does that work? We've, way before the pandemic, we were a very much an email band. So everything goes in the Dropbox. We're all able to look at each other's homework, critique each other without hurting each other's feelings because we've been together for so long. And then it is um, a moment of let's get together before we do a, a recording session or before we're going to go out on tour. I, I've, we're of that vintage that 
I don't really want to be in a room Tuesday and Saturday night every single week going over the same uh, rigmarole of a set that you should really know yourself. Do your bloody homework, stop wasting money. You've got a home studio, do it there. So, uh, and also the other boys, they're all fathers. So they've got families that they need to look after. Time is a very, very precious commodity. And you want to make sure that when you are in that room, everyone's on the right page and we can bust it out and and work from there. As as far as little tweaking goes and that, we, we usually do that remotely, each member, and then we send in what we've done or we might even film ourselves playing bass or playing guitar to help each other out what's going on. And then I'm constantly compiling files of uh, lyrical ideas to send to Carl. And then once that's been cleared off of, yeah, well, that sounds like a great concept, then I'm putting it into the Dropbox for the rest of the guys to be able to finger through as well. So, so it's it's always busy in remote. Was this album recorded remotely or was it in a studio? It was recorded in a studio, but all oh. the demos were written like long before that, just sending each other what we've been coming up with. Okay. And who um, produced and mastered this? Uh, produced, well, it was, most of it was recorded with Carl and then it was mastered by, um, Audio Siege, I believe. And it was mixed by our friend, Mike, who is in the band Yulva and High Tension down here in Melbourne. Uh, he's a, got a wonderful ear and we wanted, Carl's usually been at the helm of that stuff, but we figured it might be nice for him because he'd been so close to these songs to have a, a fresh ear come in. And he's always been very complimentary about Mike's guitar uh, styling. And he's probably one of the only guitarists in Australia that's, that, that is on par with the weird way that Carl, Carl writes when he's doing riffs. I mean, it does, it, it sounds great. Like, I mean, like I love vestigial, vestigial, sorry, it's a word I can't pronounce, but um when I when I put the two side by side, like the Gleaners does have that extra bit of polish or shine to it. Like I think it sounds really good. Like really, it's an album where you really experience it. Like you know, you can sit down with a good pair of headphones on and you get absolutely everything. You know, coming out. I think it sounds great. Um, you also mentioned there about singles, and um, I'm not going to go into too much, but Orca obviously was one that. Um, caused a bit of a storm underground with the pink paint. Um, yeah. And I remember seeing it come out and people were, and it, and it created such a storm on social media, like anything these days, you just have to put a comment up and someone kicks off, but it was, is pink, should pink be in metal or something like that? Right. And, yeah. And the divide of it was just ridiculous. I looked at it and just thought, I love bands who just do things outside of the norm, who just, they're not afraid. And sorry, this I, this may sound like it's a negative comment, but they're not afraid of their integrity or anything like that. You know, I mean, black metal is a perfect example. All you see is corpse paint and black clothes. Whereas like a band like Lowe coming out and bringing that stuff with the pink, it was just a mental video. It's on YouTube if you haven't seen it for anyone listening. Um, but I mean, for a band like you, is it important? I assume that art is so important to you guys. Yes. So Carl has handled all the aesthetics of each release since the band started. So it's it's a theme that is very close to our hearts and we have complete control of our little universe it's already very handy that every member in the band is a is a creative in their own right. 
So whether it's me designing merch, uh, merch uh, screens and stuff for the t-shirts and and badges or whatnot, whether it's Carl doing our graphics for the animation, so he's come into his own uh, like his own comfort zone now with the way that he creates clips for us. And we've always had Adrian Shapiro, our bass yeah. player, as a film director and a production company owner. So Orca was a joint effort of of his company and our good friend Matt Devine, who was the director on that. And all that stuff you see is very important because it it goes with just as much effort as we did for the for the music side of things. And being able to be in control of what comes out and have a say of how that's going to be consumed is very important to us. And these songs, these clips, they're going to last longer than us. They're going to be more youthful than we ever will be. Like time's getting away from us as we hurtle towards the grave. <laughs> so we want to make sure that uh, we have our stamp and our legacy. And even if it's only consumed on a small scale compared to, say, a band like Metallica or Tool or whatever, that's fine because we knew that we were genuine in the way that we were creating and expressing ourselves. Uh, the Orca clip is... there's. If you want to go on YouTube, the listeners, and check out the making of, you can see me butt naked with a cock sock on being dipped into <laughs> 800 litres of milk lard and powder. Uh, but that tank was made from a, from uh, scraps from Bunnings, which is a hardware store down this way, as well as uh, everybody like really like really put their extra effort in to make sure that that was a reality because these are people that usually make their money by having to shoot car commercials or things to do with cereals. So when they got the chance to be creating a goo monster and people in gas masks, like real hazmat suits, they jumped at it because it meant that they were able to do the kind of work that they got into the industry in the first place. I I didn't realise there was a making of video. and that, Oh, yeah. Yeah. There is know, quite a few of our clips. Is there? And now you've said it about you and butt naked and cocksock. I'm not sure if I want to watch it or not. <laughs> all right. But all the, all the pink goo covers up the modesty, so... <laughs> But coming back to the singles as well, like on the Gleaners, you released a fair few singles for this album and the lead up to it. I always, personally, I don't listen to singles before the album's released. And the example I always use is when Tool released their last album, which was 20 odd years in the making, I may have exaggerated a bit there. When I listened to that single on its own, I it did nothing for me. And it's only when okay. you then listen to it in the context of the album, it makes sense. And I, I mean, the question to you is, with singles these days, it's becoming a lot more prevalent in, in, in the music scene. Um, you know, some bands would release six or seven tracks as singles off the album before the yeah. 12 track album's released. And it's sort of like, well, do I need to listen to the rest of it now? Because I assume you're only putting the strongest tracks from the album out as singles yeah i mean what's your thoughts on this like was it was it um was it the record company who said let's put out all these singles or was it from yourself and look, and look sorry at the same time i'm not saying it's a bad thing because people do love listening to singles and seeing what bands have been up to but it's just more of a curiosity from my side Look, it's the the record companies are always going to have their agenda that they need filled. They need to make sure that there is something on the horizon and that 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 you know the leading of the breadcrumbs towards the gingerbread house. So that's the whole point of a single is is to get people interested and get the the PR and and the hype for the record get that interesting uh, taste back into people's mouths. Considering that we'd been dormant 
for new materials for almost six years, it was important for people to hear something and then get interested again. But as far as the importance for me personally of a single, uh, it's more just about showcasing certain elements, like a little slice of the pie of what the re the record might sound like without giving too much away. So I felt that we were very tasteful in what we released, and it highlighted different elements that were going to come through in this in this creep, the final creature of the Gleaners. So I mean, the the the, the, the tribes themselves that like Rat King is very. All the singles you released the videos for as well. Um, what was the other one you released with the makeup, the bone makeup? Oh, Cannibal Culture. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the two of them side by side are very different in the, the yes. visuals as well. Um, does Adrian do a lot of the production on these videos? Of course. Yeah. So he directed Cannibal Culture, our bass player, Adrian Shapiro, and uh, that was talked through on the ideas of capitalism and consumerism and white privilege basically and and the monster that that makes us in our in our western world and he was very very happy of how it turned out he had a great crew with him that created that nice little piece of art and i felt that it marries really well with the song uh he has had a very big hand in in most of our film clips uh, from the very beginning. So we're very lucky to have him in our band. He's a great friend as well as a great director. And it just seems a sin that if you're a band like us and you're not using everyone's talents, then then that's to your detriment. So we always want to save some money, but also be genuine to what we're creating. And it, it's very, very helpful to have those guys in your, in your pocket. Absolutely. I mean, like when you think about each of the four of you in the band, everyone brings so much to the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. And um, Pelagic Records, I actually we actually spoke to interviewed uh, Robin the other day from the ocean on this oh, yeah. very, very channel. Um, first time I've ever spoke, like, I'm a huge fan of the ocean, so it was great. But he's such a humble guy, um, you know, yeah. like, you always have preconceptions of people and. I mean, they say never meet your heroes, blah, blah, blah. But, like, he was just such a nice guy, like, great sense of humour. Like, working with him or Pelagic, I don't know whether you worked directly with Robin or whoever, but it must be a really nice label to be on. Look, it's, it's very, very good to be on a label where the owners or the bosses of the label know what it's like on the ground and to be in a band because they're still in a very well-known band that tours. It's not a suit, a faceless uh, droog. It's a person that knows exactly what life-to-life -life touring is. And he's got a lot of pride in what the ocean releases. And sure, we don't have 10 million variants made of sea dust and sea cucumbers like they do, but he's allowed us to express quite a few of our own uh, hopes and desires in the way that we want our aesthetics to look. So um, it's been wonderful that we've got the support for since day one of our releases through Pelagic. Yeah, and as well, like you just touched on there about the, the releases of vinyl and stuff like that we're in a very different age in terms of music. Like I touched on before when we were growing up, it was CDs going down to your local record store and just picking up whatever cool album looked cool. Yes. Yeah. That risk and that risk that you wouldn't have heard it beforehand. So yeah. it's like, if you just spent, you know, you might've had to work in a charcoal chicken rotisserie for two weeks as a teenager, save up that money, go down, get that ministry remix album, take it home, <laughs> realize absolute shite and then you got to wait another month 
uh, stuffing a few more chickens to get back there and take another risk. So it was all that social currency of 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 culture. It was very a rare, a rare thing. Now it's just totally accessible to anyone. Yeah, I mean, funnily enough, one of those gambles I took was another um, of your countrymen, the Berserker. Um, oh, yep. yep. And I can't remember what album it was, what it was, but um, it was like the mechanical sort of snake or dragon. Or yes. Thing. Yep. And uh, like I said, I think it was about £17 at the time, which was a lot back yep. then. Jeez, I sound like my dad now. Uh, back in the day, it was a lot of money. But I remember putting it on, I was like, what the hell is this? Like the BPM on the drums alone, I was like, this is just ridiculous. Um, I sort of grew to appreciate it. And, you know, now that I don't know if they're still active or if they're gone. I, I don't, I don't no, know. their singer is um their singer is a lovely gentleman and now he sings in a band called Werewolves, which is a is a nice heavy oh, yes, old right. metal band. Yeah, with the drummer from Cycroptic in, in the band as well. Lovely yeah. guys, very hardworking, and you'll see a lot more of them in the future for sure. Well, they release an album like every two weeks or something. It's ridiculous. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. You have a nap and they've already done a tour. Yeah, yeah. And I actually caught Cycroptic here in Dublin um, when they toured with Archspire. Um, yep. Which was great. Great to see. Um, it's, Adel it's Moore so nice. toured with Archspire and Cycroptic in Australia a couple of years back and it was a, it was a great time. Yeah, that's and I mean, it's going to come on to my question anyway, but um like it's great to see bands from australia getting out there because it is such a in a way it's an isolated country because it's so far away and the expenses of touring like i mean for example we've seen anthrax now pull out of europe for the second year in a row and they said they just can't make money touring europe with a band like anthrax who are one of the big four i don't know why i did that they are one of the big four um but like a band like that size who can't make money in, in Europe for a band from Australia to come across and tour, you know, it's great to see. And it is a massive gamble as well at the same time, I assume, unless you've got a massive record label who's going to put up flights and hotels and all this stuff. Like, it's great to see. So, I mean, you you guys have in the past, like played Roadburn in Europe, um, supported Cult of Luna which is like they're one of the greatest bands in the world. So my question, Sam, and I don't want a political answer now or politician answer. When are you coming to Europe? Oh, next year, mate. We There was already talk that we were trying to get here like this year, but it's more to do with, like we said, the constraints of money and family. So it's it's we've got to make sure that it, we, we're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot by going uh, because it would be devastating if we had to give up bigger opportunities next year to do a short run or a couple of runs here and it not work out for us. So uh, it's all about making sure that we can come for the most shows with the biggest impact and, and have a really nice time. So we, we, we're not going to be neglecting Europe or, or other parts of overseas next year at all. So it's already being talked about. That's why we signed with Doomstar Touring. So they'll be handling our situation uh, later in the year and into next year. So we want to make sure that the Gleaners is heard by as many people in as many countries as possible. Hmm. Uh, that's that's made my day. Uh, and I yeah, guarantee... Well, mate, I'll see you in Dublin. We can go down to the art gallery and I'll, I'll you know, jerk off in front of the Francis Bacon house and it'll be great. And then you'll be cancelled and low will be no more. 
Yeah. <laughs> I meant mentally, mentally mazzing. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, wherever you, if you then come to Dublin, wherever you are in Europe, I will 100% be there. Uh, definitely. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, couldn't miss that up. Or I assume you're doing it. You, you are doing a release show in uh, Australia, aren't you? I think. Yes, yes. So this is all scheduled for June, like next month. Uh, We're doing one in all the major cities up the East Coast and we're doing a festival up in Brisbane as well in July. And then we're doing the homecoming show for Bellacore after they do their 30 or so uh, European dates run. They arrive back in their hometown of Melbourne and we're the main support for that. Uh, As well as I'm, I'm guessing there'll be one or two more before Christmas down here and then it will be more of a focus overseas i hope uh, for earlier into next year cool and just um i'm, I'm conscious of time now i'm gonna let you go in a minute but what's your um reach like outside of australia in terms of, like it's very hard to gauge but like um i said before like australia you know the bands it's very hard to get exposure and things like that because of the scene but i'm interested to know because like playing roadburn's huge Support and Cold Luna is huge. So you must have a fair big fan base in Europe. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's obviously it helps that our label is based from Berlin, being Pelagic yeah. Records. Uh, we've always found that we do have a quite a lot of enthusiastic fans in Italy, in Romania, in the UK, in France, um, and then scattered quite a bit more with the Gleaners now just because of the PR effort of this particular release and the way that all the singles are hitting home and, and the film clip and the, 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 uh, you know, the improved, uh, I guess, exposure of that. It meant that the U S is now quite a big uh, listening market for us as well. So uh, we always thought that we d- would do well in the States with the kind of style and the socio-political messages of the music. Uh, but it's, it's nice to see those figures coming back that people are very keen for us to hit over that side of the world uh, we've always really, really enjoyed playing in parts of Germany and, and like I used to live in London, so it's, it's close to me where, where I'm able to go back and do some shows in the UK as well. Wicked. Sam, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for your time. Like, honestly, I could sit here for hours chatting. Um, but hopefully, um, that next year, uh, I get to, to finally meet in person and see Lowe first hand which would be absolutely phenomenal congratulations yeah. on the album um thanks man. it's wicked and uh it's great to see all the the love for it as well in on social media and things like that um so yeah listen sam thanks so much for your time i'll let you get back to the snakes and feeding whatever is behind <laughs> yeah, you. yeah, exactly. you're just like i'll let you get back there you creepy cryptic <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> i never said that i never said that <laughs> awesome i'll tell griff to uh you know high five you with his mechanical hand by the time he breaks (laughs) (laughs) yeah when you've got a replacement drummer in because he can't make the tour oh we'll just get a hologram it'll be great (laughs) the the griff 5000 (laughs) thanks Uh, thanks so much man see ya